Hey everyone, welcome back to Quality Matters. I'm your hostess, Darcy Chambers. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Chambers. And we have <laughs> another special guest, well not another, a repeat guest. Yes. Chris Paris is back with us. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> Why the confused look? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, usually I'd thrown out after the first one, not invited back. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. You know, onward and upward. <laughs> In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. All right, so we're briefly discussing what we're going to talk about tonight, Yeah. which is a con the conflict of interest in the ISO standards development. Yeah. Okay. So again, I think I'm going to let y'all go ahead. <laughs> now, I will say, when we discuss, we discussed this over email just a little bit, what yeah. we're going to talk about tonight. And when I told Kyle about it, I said, well, that's interesting, because I think we just recently did an episode where we talked about we thought the way they developed the standards was a good way they did it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we thought it would be an interesting <laughs> topic for y'all to discuss. Sure. I'll debunk that. Okay. Go ahead. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess part of what uh, I've run into, and I see good and bad points to this both ways, is folks get very frustrated by the overly vagueness, especially with the 2015 edition of the standard. Right. That's just overly got a, uh, a fun comment on a LinkedIn uh, just over our last podcast kind of in, uh, in reference to that. And, and I get that. But at the same time, it makes it a lot more fun for me as a consultant because I can come in and devise really almost any solution that works for the company. Right. But I don't think most people go that way. I think most people like it to be, do this, do this, do this. I met it. There's my checklist, and I'm done. Right. What's your thoughts? So, well, that's a good thing. I mean, first, point uh, number one is that the vagueness and confusion uh, in ISO 9000, the 2015, is intentional. Understand that, and I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. But it is interesting that you take the position that you can use that confusion to your advantage, and most mm -hmm. people don't understand that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I always say there's there's a happy ending. I'm going to talk like and say all these terrible things, but there is a happy ending. The standard <laughs> is, yeah, the standard is terrible. The new standard is worse. It's it's un, it, it's very hard to understand. It's confusing. This is intentional. Uh, but at the end of the day, you can use that to your advantage because you, you have a wider range of things you can do mm -hmm. to satisfy. There's still some limitations, but yeah. uh, but but you you have to understand it. And it's almost become impossible, if not impossible now, to, to implement ISO 9000 without using some third-party help, mm -hmm. which was not true when the standard came out in 87. Yeah. So when you say you can use it to your advantage, you're referring to the companies that the are client. using the ISO standard. Yeah, not me. Okay, because the <laughs> comment I get no got, advantage from this. Right. Well, that's what the comment that he got was uh -huh. kind of referencing, saying how convenient is it for all these consultants yeah. that it's vague and confusing. So I think he was kind of saying it's used to the consultants. Oh, yeah, that, and that is when I say this is intentional, that is why it's intentional. Okay. This is absolutely intentional. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'll explain that. So uh, the first thing I wanted to say is that first, um, we think that ISO develops standards, right? We call ISO a standards development body. Mm -hmm. They're not. They do not develop standards, okay? okay. And I should have worn a poncho because you're going to explode in about a minute. <laughs> and this is going to be a mess. 
right? Because I'm about to blow your mind, right? Okay. <laughs> ISO does not develop standards. ISO okay. is a publishing company. Right. That's right. all they do. They publish books, mm -hmm. but the books that they publish, they happen to call standards. Mm -hmm. They could call them avocados. That would not make them an avocado grower. Right. They're a book publishing company. They just happen to call them standards. Um, and we know this, this is easy to, this is not conspiracy theory, right? Uh, ISO is required to publish their annual and their annual report every year, which includes their balance sheet, their financials. Mm -hmm. ISO only has three sources of income, three sources of income. The first is the sale of books, mm -hmm. and then uh, the other two I'll talk in a minute, but it has to do with licensing and everything. Um, and they only have three, I don't forget how many, a couple uh, so, uh, bills that they have to pay, expenses. Mm -hmm. None of them are related to standards development. ISO spends zero dollars on standards development. So they get money from publishing books and they spend zero on, on development of standards. That means they're not a standards developer. Mm -hmm. So how do they develop standards? And it's really, really weird. <clears throat> I, and, I, <laughs> and I talk about this in my book, Surviving ISO 9000. Uh, <laughs> available at survivingiso9001.com. We'll leave a link. Yeah, I forgot to do that last time. Um, so, uh, and I explain this, but uh, what they do is bizarre. It's, it, ISO is what's called a vanity press. So in the publishing world, if you write a book, you then present that book to the publisher, and the, the publisher says, I'm going to publish that. I'm going to give you an advance. I'm going to give you some money, maybe mm -hmm. twenty, thirty thousand dollars mm $30,000, and then you're going to get a percentage of the sales. Mm -hmm. So you're getting paid by the publisher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the ISO world, the authors, people on the technical committee that write it, they go to ISO and they say, here's our book, mm -hmm. right? And ISO says, okay, thank you very much, and they keep it and sell it, right? And the authors don't get anything. Mm -hmm. So that only, appears, that, that only appeals to people who want to get published. Now, in the publishing world, like if you, if you write a terrible book, it's really bad, and you try to publish it, and the publishers say, we don't want anything to do with it, you can then go to what's called a vanity press, mm -hmm. and they'll publish it, but you have to pay them. Mm -hmm. And that's the model that ISO works from, right? Mm -hmm. Which is very, very strange. So how are ISO standards written? The technical committees, and we have one in the United States, right? Uh, they, let's say ISO decides tomorrow, we're gonna make a new standard on invisibility. We need to standardize invisibility, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, so they put out a call saying, hey, all the countries of the world, send us your volunteers, right? So all these volunteers get together and they write the standard for visibility and they're basically putting their intellectual property on paper. Mm -hmm. They then give that intellectual property to ISO, mm -hmm. and ISO keeps it forever and right. says, thank you very much. You can't have that back. I, you wrote it, but it's mine now. Okay. Right? right. So but that their benefits that they get to have their name on it or That's or it, and reference. that's the vanity aspect gotcha. of it, right? But it's even worse than that. Like, so in order for them to do that, the countries have to actually pay ISO a fee Right, so ANSI pays ISO a membership fee mm -hmm. for the privilege of gathering up volunteers who will surrender their intellectual property to ISO for free. So it's not even for free, Interesting. we pay for it. So imagine that like you had a soup kitchen, right? And you wanna volunteer at the soup kitchen. So you go to the soup kitchen, you volunteer and the, and the soup kitchen says, this is great, awesome, we love it. Mm -hmm. We're making soup for the homeless people, mm -hmm. but we're gonna charge you $1,000 to volunteer. And you're like, oh. I thought I was just working for free. Right. I'm actually working at a loss. So, okay, right. here's my $1,000, now I'm gonna make soup. And then when you're done with the soup, mm -hmm. you say, hey, I'm hungry, can I have some soup? And they say, no, you can't have soup, you can buy it. <laughs> and then, like, as you're walking out the door, you notice that they're not actually giving the soup to the homeless, they're charging the homeless $3,000 per cup. 
ISO gets revenue from all three of those, right? They get revenue gotcha. from right. uh, the standards bodies of the, of the, the nations, the, nation, uh, the national bodies, pay them for the privilege gotcha. of having their members give this intellectual property. They then sell that, and then they license it back. So if ANSI, our national body in the United mm -hmm. States, wants to republish ISO, they got to pay another fee. And those are the three sources of income that ISO has. So that's what sort of debunks this whole thing, is like the guys on the committee who write the standard are supposed to be business management experts, mm -hmm. but they don't know that like when you do work, you're supposed to get paid. You don't pay your boss. You don't pay your boss for the privilege of working. Clearly they've never started a small business. Yeah, it, it, you'd, you'd have to never have even been an employee. Right, right, because they don't know how. So it's astonishing that anybody would sign well, up for I this arrangement. Well, I guess I didn't really understand that ISO was not a standards developer and right. was just a publisher. Yeah. So the way I understood it was that they were reaching out and getting input from people in the field. So I thought, oh, well, that's right. I liked that. Except that because it's such a lopsided, stupid arrangement, what what person would ever sign up for that? And I did for a while, so I was a, I was an idiot. I was on the committee, okay. And then I realized, why am I going to meetings, giving them my intellectual property, and they keep it? And then if I want to use it, I got to buy it back from them. Yeah. So that's a ridiculous thing. So who does it appeal to? And this is where the conflict comes in. It appeals only to people who can then pro uh, profit from that arrangement later, and that's what you said by using it as a credential. Right? And there's only two types of people. One is registrar representatives, because then mm -hmm. they can, like BSI can go on and say, well, we, we helped write the standard, so you need to get your certificate so from us right. because we helped write the standard. Right. And the biggest one is consultants. Consultants use this, I do it myself. I tell people I was on the US tag to gotcha. TC-176 for 30 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> and that was fun. Um, so uh, yeah, and then consultants. And, and so okay. as a result, the majority of the people at these meetings are consultants and registrars, mm -hmm. and thus the, mm -hmm. the conflict. So now, it is in their benefit to make the standard as confusing as possible so that you have to buy the services from them mm -hmm. to decipher it. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you go back to 87, the 1987 version was only nine pages long. Yeah. You didn't need a consultant. Oh, wow. It was elegant. And it was based on a document, MILQ 9858, which came from the 1950s which is you know, 40, 50 years ago. I can't do my math, but <laughs> a long time ago. Right? So that standard was fine for decade after decade after decade, and then ISO adopted it, and it worked fine. And mm -hmm. then in 2000, the document started getting bigger, and now it's even bigger. And it's yeah. almost 40 pages, I think, the yeah. PDF. Well, that's what I keep saying. We're actually in the middle of a mini-series right now, although I don't know when you're going to release this, so I don't yeah. know when they're going to hear it, <laughs> um, about understanding the standard. Because every episode we do, I talk about how it's just so big. It feels mm -hmm. so big to me, to somebody that doesn't right. know anything about right. it. And I can imagine some poor guy that got hired for something else and said, oh, by the way, now you're the quality manager. Read this and figure this out. That right. never happens, does it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's another, another little secret that ISO doesn't want people to know about, but it's also something you can check. ISO has a pricing model based on page count. Right. Mm -hmm. If you sell a book, it's a skinny little book. Right. I'm only going to sell that for 25 bucks. Okay. Mm -hmm. If I sell a big thick book, I'm going to sell that for maybe 100 bucks. Mm -hmm. So ISOs, because they're a book publisher, mm -hmm. they have a book pricing model based yeah. on number of pages for for a printed copy. Mm -hmm. So their price point, the price goes up at I think it's 40 pages. So they had a goal to make ISO 9040 pages in order to justify, I think it's 160 or 180 dollars. Mm -hmm. It's like 180 dollars. 180 dollars, yeah. right? Yeah. Versus if they had kept it at nine pages like they had in 87, it would only be, I think, worth 25, 30 bucks. And that's So difference. there's actually, if you get the PDF, there's actually a blank page inside the PDF, mm -hmm. right? Oh, and, wow. and not the PDF, I'm sorry, you get the printed version, there's a blank page. 
Just and you're wondering, like, why that's it? It's there because they needed to justify to yeah. their accountants and everything. What, why is that price point? So this is why, and this has a practical effect. The clause 8.4, which in the previous standard was 7.4, was called purchasing, right? Mm -hmm. And the old standard was called purchasing. Mm -hmm. It's now called control of externally provided processes, services, and products or something. Mm -hmm. It's eight words. Yeah. So we took one word and replaced it with eight. Right. Mm -hmm. We used to use the word record. We now use retain documented information, which is three words. Yeah. We used to use the word procedure. Now it's maintain documented. We use three. Right. Because every this time is they all say a way that, to, yeah, you slowly, it out. and that's why you have. And in fact, there's a there's a section on risk-based thinking in the front matter, and then in the an, in the annex uh -huh. in the back, it's uh -huh. basically a duplicate. It why? Is. It's all to pad the page count gotcha. to justify the cover price, and they can make more money. And see, that's one that's actually confused me because I'm going through it and like, this is like 50% the exact same material, like exactly. almost verbatim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, well, what's the difference? What are they trying to convey differently? But that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> They're not trying to convey anything differently. Yeah, <laughs> right. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and then we did see, too, uh, and I won't mention any names, but they know who they are. Um, but we saw in the U.S., <laughs> the U.S. committee that writes the standard, they mm -hmm. had at one of their official regular TAG meetings, is the technical advisory group, the TAG, mm -hmm. They had at their meeting, uh, they gave a presentation and they put a slideshow, PowerPoint slideshow, which projected on there, and they had a slide that says, risk-based thinking is the biggest boon to consultants ever. And then I got the slideshow, so I published the slideshow. <laughs> I didn't make the slideshow, it's their slides. They published it, it's got their name on it, it's uh -huh. got the lady's name on it who wrote it, Right. and she just put it up on the screen, brazen as anything. That risk-based thinking is the biggest boon for consultants. So I'm not making this stuff up. Wow. <laughs> they just are, are shameless about it. They don't care wow. if you know that. And well, of course, nobody understands risk-based thinking, so you got to hire her to decipher it. Right. Uh, yeah, and that's, that is probably it, it's simultaneously one of my favorite and least favorite parts of the standard because I like that we're, it's putting the, um, uh, I can't think of the word, but like um, requirement and, you know, to, uh, to really consider risk <clears throat> in, in what you're doing, whereas before the best we really had was maybe preventative actions and those kind of an after the thought type thing so i like that we're really requiring people to think about it ahead of time but the way that it is worded and integrated into the yeah. system is not yeah. good it, well that whole section those clauses were not written by any quality professional were not written mm -hmm. by the the iso 9000 authoring group they were written by a group called the iso tmb technical management board mm -hmm. the tmb which is just a group that manages it's like a bunch of bureaucrats with an iso their job is not to write standards, but they wrote that clause and they handed that to the committee mm -hmm. and they said, put it in there. And then the committee was forced to put it in there. And then when the voting went around, mm -hmm. you were disallowed from voting on that clause. You could not vote on that clause. Really? Yeah. So, well, people did, or, or not vote, but comment on it. So all the comments related to, we think risk-based thinking clause 6.1 is confusing. Mm -hmm. They were automatically deleted because the technical committee cannot trump, they cannot override the TMB that wrote it. And the same with Clause 4.1 and 4.2. All uh -huh. the context of the organization yeah. stuff was not written by a quality right. management professional. Well, those are the two truly confusing points. Everything yeah. else is a lot more verbose than it was before. Yeah. Uh, but it's nothing terribly confusing about, about the new addition, uh, except maybe part of how they, they talk about um, you know, nonconformities versus corrective actions. That gets a yeah, little yeah, yeah, muddled. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but why can't they be voted on or out? So the technical committee, let me back up. The TMB 
their job is to manage the technical committee. So the structure is you have the ISO executive at top, so the CEO higher. and their guys, the TMB in the middle, and then you got the technical committees here. And they all write, so we got one that writes 9,000, they got one that 14,000, gotcha. all those, gotcha. right? The TMB manages the technical committees. And the, the job is that so that like if, if corruption starts to happen in one of these, the TMB can disband the group. So they're there to enforce the rules. Mm -hmm. Well, now the TMB is writing context to this the, the content, mm -hmm. right? right? And yeah. I just literally got an email today from them still defending the, the practice. But it violates all of ISO's own rules, but they yeah. still do right. it. Well, I mean, it's easy to see how that's a conflict. Well, yeah. it's you can not have their one, job, yeah. right? It's not their job, and we don't even know who's on the TMB. But the, and, and the text that TMB write goes in all the ISO standards. Mm -hmm. So the same text winds, winds up in the 14,000 mm -hmm. for environmental, mm -hmm. and it winds up in 9,000, and mm -hmm. it winds into medical device, all these other ones, right? Well, so that means that the person writing that is an expert in all these disciplines? No, right. they don't have to be an expert in anything, and we don't even know who they are. Wow. So let me ask you this. Isn't there a requirement in the standard to have an organizational chart? Not really. No. no. Okay, I thought there was. You're required to define roles and responsibilities in okay, a common way to is. do that. I don't think it's a great one uh, because all the organizational chart does is show reporting structure. Who do, mm -hmm. who do I snitch to? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but it's part of that. Yeah. And, and most companies do that to, to meet at least 50% of that requirement. Right. So yeah. you said they're not following. The, I mean, if the standard requires showing roles and responsibilities and they're not following their own roles and responsibilities, they're not following their own standards that they're No, publishing. ISO Is does that... not follow its own standards. Okay. In fact, even worse than that, they're held <laughs> to another point. set of rules published by the World Trade Organization, the WTO. Mm -hmm. The WTO has published a, a huge document called uh, TBT, uh, Technical Barriers to Trade, and there's a whole section that is aimed right at ISO mm -hmm. that says, ISO, when you write standards, you have to write it this way, otherwise you're considered a barrier to free trade and you could be uh, penalized. Well, ISO ignores the WTO, and I wrote to the WTO and said, you know, how long this is, is this going on? And mm -hmm. the WTO wrote back to me and said, well, to be honest with you, we have no enforcement mechanism. So the entire TBT rules for how ISO is to develop standards is symbolic. It doesn't mean anything. Wow. So ISO is violating the World Trade Organization wow. and should be financially sanctioned, right? Mm -hmm. But there's no way to do that because the WTO can only sanction countries, not a publishing oh, company. I wow. Now, if a country got on board, they could probably launch it. Right. But I, I go to the United States and, and you know, all the people involved are the, are the consultants that are making money on this, so they're not going to do it. <laughs> so I'm really, I'm counting on Venezuela. <laughs> my, <laughs> my good friends in the Maduro regime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, in which case we're in big trouble. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's, uh, that's really, really interesting because a couple things. Like, I never really understood what the relationship between ANSI and ISO was. Yeah, and ANSI like, pays ISO to be a member of, of ISO. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I recently just sent a link to uh, one, one of my clients who uh, about to start doing that kind of ground-up consultation work with, and they need to get a copy of the standard. And so I sent them the ANSI link if for no other reason than they had U.S. dollars on it. I think actually ANSI is a little bit cheaper. I think they were. Um, Maybe I think they were like 160 something. Yeah. But if you want to save a lot of money, buy the AS9100 standard, which is like 80 bucks, and it includes the full text of ISO. I don't understand how they did that. Well, and you just ignore all the, the aerospace stuff. And you just, <laughs> and you just bought it cheap. Oh, that's funny. Or just use Google and you'll find someone's uploaded oh, somewhere. True. I can't recommend that. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then... I guess the question is, how would you recommend they do it? Because I like the idea of consultants or people that are in it helping to write it. Well, the rules 
the rules are good if they were enforced. The rule says that no single interest category can dominate, and one of the interest categories is consultants. You're supposed to have a balance of consultants, private uh, companies, user organizations, yeah. uh, government agencies, and there's, I think, seven categories, mm -hmm. right? And it has to be an even distribution equal. They just ignore that rule, and they've ignored it for and that's decades. that's their own rule? That's again? their own rule, and okay. they just don't enforce it. In the United States, uh, the committee is over, overrun by consultants, right. and the consultants actually fib. They actually lie. They say, we have a couple uh, of the consultants, one of whom lives probably five feet from here, um, who is, he's, he claims he's retired, so he's listed as an individual, but he's probably the most famous ISO consultant in the world. He's a consultant, right? Mm -hmm. He's been retired more years than I've been a consultant. He just claims to be retired when it suits his purposes and, gotcha. and the rest of the time doesn't. So, um, but, and the, the, the body that's responsible for managing that honesty and, and making sure is ASQ. ASQ has the role of being sort of really? the, the administrative secretary of the standards body in the United States. And ASQ wrote back to me and said, "Yeah, we just trust what people put on the paper. We don't actually, uh, we don't actually enforce it." Wow. So it's oh like God. no one is following Nobody the rules. Cares. Wow. Yeah. So the rules are good. We just need to get them enforced. And well, I think it would work yeah, better. So I talked about this in our, during every podcast. My own definition of quality is just simply document what you're going to do and then do it repeatedly. Yeah. And it hopefully the customer's like happy. Failure there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So they're just not. But when you understand it's a publishing company, everything starts to make sense. Yeah. They're yeah. just writing books. Yeah. They don't care what's in the book. They just yeah. want the book to be big and thick, and so they get charged a lot of money for it. But they're a little bit frustrated because, as I understand, the sales of ISO 9000 are down because people are really not happy with it. So yeah. ISO is trying to scramble what to do. That's why they're triggering a new revision to Annex L, which will mean a new trigger to a, a new update to the risk-based oh, thinking yeah. clause. Uh -huh. And we don't know what's going to happen there. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's one of the things I just struggle the most with when I do consulting is because it's like, well, you know, maybe we want to do a risk register. Maybe we want to track risk, you know, when we're making a sell. Maybe we want to track risk at the, you know, step level in the work instruction. Like, where is the acceptable point yeah. to do it? Yeah. And the truth is, is it's really almost anything that's acceptable as long as you can prove that you tracked it where it matters most. But, you know, kind of point you made earlier is, and Darcy, you said as well, is like, for a guy that just came off the floor and got thrown in as quality manager, oh, that's a hell of yeah, a task. No, no. Yeah, yeah, it is. Interesting. Right. Well, I think our time is up. That I think gives so. our listeners a lot to think about. No, that is. That's very interesting Long material. Girl. I appreciate it. Very, very good. Cool. Okay. All right. Thanks for joining us. Right, thanks. thanks a lot.